0: But my point is, if you tell middle class people, you're not going to be able to afford to fill up your truck at $7 for diesel fuel, or you're not going to turn on your air conditioning because it's a sin and we're going to make it 30 kilowatt. And you're going to be on that forklift at 18 and you're going to pay taxes for this guy with a gender studies major at Stanford on his loan forgiveness, Uh, you're playing with fire.
1: Professor Victor Davis Hanson is no stranger to this series of conversations. He's the Martin and Illy Anderson senior fellow in residence uh, in classics and military history at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University. He has many prestigious academic posts. Uh, He's a historian of both ancient and modern history. He has a particular ability and background in the history of warfare. Uh, He has his own podcast, The Victor Davis Hanson Show, where he speaks at length about global and American affairs and cultural issues with a vitality and a freshness and a knowledge base that is really impressive. His latest book is The Dying Citizen, How Progressive Elites, Tribalism, and globalisation are destroying the idea of America. Victor, thanks so much for joining us, particularly given that you're still recovering from COVID. <laughs> well,
0: all bad things come to an end, I hope.
1: We're all, I think, uh, right around the world, very interested in what might happen in the upcoming mid midterms. Uh, uh, um, we've watched the current team under Biden doing very badly in the polls, and the polls seem to be indicating that there was going to be a major red wave and that the Republicans would take the House and the Senate again. Now, people are saying the polls are faltering, Uh, the Biden administration is recovering, despite all of the challenges that seem to be in front of it. Um, You've had Roe versus Wade, how might that impact at all? You've had the raid on Mar-a-Lago, the... uh, uh, on, on President Trump's home by the FBI. How are you reading all of this? Because it's, it's so important for America, and indeed the world. Yeah,
0: I think there's two issues, and one is, is the, are the Republicans really stumbling? So, for example, today a poll came out, and Joe Biden has dropped in the Reuters, which Ipsos poll, which is considered center-left poll. He's gone from forty-one back down to thirty-eight. And so there's this kind of media, because of the passage of his uh, so-called inflation-fighting bill and the student debt, there's not been polling on those issues, but they feel that's momentum, so it's been ginned up in the media. But when you actually look at Biden's polls, they've gone down this week, and when you look at key races that they've felt were indicators of, of Republican stupidity by nominating people who had no political experience. J.D. Vance in Ohio, he's up in some polls. Uh, Blake Masters in Arizona, he's within one or two points in some polls. Uh, Herschel Walker that everybody thought would, was a disaster, he's actually ahead of Warnock. So I, I don't think, I think it's uh, not quite the landslide that they thought, but it's going to be a big win. The other issue is, what is the democratic strategy that gives them this confidence? And if you look at the political landscape, no one is talking about an open border and three million people crossing. Joe Joe Biden blew up immigration law. It doesn't exist in America on the southern border. Nobody's talking about gasoline prices because in their way of thinking, if they've gone up $3 and they went down 50 cents, that's a cut, but they're still much higher and people know that. Inflation went from 9.2 and now it's 8.5, but 8.5 is extraordinary. The Fed is going to tighten up. People are still, this is the anniversary week, last week was, of the Afghanistan debacle. So they don't wanna talk about those issues, so what are they doing? So we had the January 6th commission, of which there was no Republican on the committee who did not vote to impeach Donald Trump or who had a political future. The two people on it have no political future, at least in the Congress, and they voted to impeach Trump. And that psychodrama then led into uh, the raid on Mar-a-Lago. We've never had a president's home raided in the history of the country, and we've had a series of narratives. Each one has replaced the other one when it ran out of uh, credit, credulent credit. And so what I'm getting at is they don't want to run on the record. The problem is with the Republicans, that they are reactive. And so if they were to follow the 1994 Newt-Ginrich paradigm in which Donald Trump or whoever is the nominative head of the party, they would say, this is what we're going to do in the first hundred days, should we take the House? and the Senate. This is what we're gonna do on energy, here's how we're gonna fight inflation, here's what we're gonna restore a deterrent foreign policy. We're going to be very skeptical. We're gonna let the states decide about abortion. It's not gonna be a federal dictate. And if they would have the candidates then run on those national issues, rather than, well, we're not insurrectionists. You're defaming us. We're not fascists you shouldn't have rated, this is, this is terrible. So they're reacting in a news cycle to these melodramas that are concocted. And it's taken a lot of momentum, at least out of them. Whether, I don't think it'll, it'll change, but at some point some adult in the Republican Party is gonna have to say, do your worst and we're gonna do our best, we're gonna have a national agenda and it's going to be the antithesis of this disastrous two years and we're all going to be on the same page, and this is what we're going to run on, and I think they'll be okay.
1: Um, I would have thought Politics 101 is to set out a vision. You've got to be able to say to people, we think X, Y, and Z are real problems, and here's how we're going to resolve them. Otherwise, you're defined by your political opponents.
0: I think at some point, maybe I'm being a little extraneous, there's a Waterloo moment with Donald Trump the Republican Party, and that is I think people who are running for office are going to tell him the 2020 election is history, and to the degree that there is a legitimate criticism about the uh, outcome, it was probably lost in March and April when the voting laws were changed, and that was not addressed by the Republican. And right now we need to look at the future. And each moment that you go back there, you play into the fake narrative of an insurrection and fascism, and that's what they want you to do. And so Donald Trump is gonna have to decide which is more important to him, to be the leader of the Republican Party and to look ahead and not to do what he did in 2020 when he fixated on the election. He let the Georgia races, the two Senate races, sort of, you know, he basically told his supporters the vote vote won't be valid. And then the independents, he seemed to be distracted. So they elected two neo-socialists in Georgia, of all places. And so that should have been a warning. So he's going to have to get that message to barnstorm the country and help these candidates and not talk about what happened, and if he doesn't, unfortunately for him, there's an array of very talented people, unlike the Democratic Party. There's a a successful governor, Ron DeSantis in Florida. There's Tom Cotton, a good senator, there's Mike Pompeo, there's Nikki Haley, there's Marco Rubio, there's all this talent and they're waiting for an opening and if he doesn't take the responsibility to, to run on the agenda and to make sure that other people other than himself when, this time around, I think he's going to be in real trouble.
1: It does raise the question, does it not, of, as an outsider, I want to be careful about sounding critical about a major American figure, because I'm not an American, except that this is so important for the world, Donald Trump runs the risk, I think, of a a, a perception that what happens to him is more important to him than what happens to the country because this is a crisis moment globally we're at a civilizational moment yeah. and what happens in america is unbelievably important yeah, it is as to whether or not we so, go under or so how does we he square that out?
0: circle yeah there's only one solution to the dilemma that you posed and that is he's got two choices he can be a tragic hero and say that i had some personality, excesses, people called me crass and crude, but I got this agenda, we were successful, and now I paved the way for a new Republican Party, but the very sturm and drang of that process made me unelectable, or maybe not going to be the the right, and I'm gonna ride off in the sunset and rest on my laurel. Or, if he wants to say current, then he's gotta shift attention from himself to the agenda. I know that he has great confidence in himself, but he can say that I gave you this agenda, and everybody seems to agree that we have to restore the industrial capacity of the United States. We've gotta to be tough on China. We've gotta have a border that's secure. Uh, we have to have a deterrent foreign policy. We have to have responsible monetary policy. We've gotta pump oil and gas, and people were not talking about it like I was, and now we're all on the same page. So as long as people agree with this agenda that I have established, the personalities, myself included, are not so important. And I think that would be wise for him to do that. He, Ironically, he would get more credit if he were to do that, but if he takes the third alternative, and that's what you hinted at, and he keeps dwelling on the injustices that were done to him, he's kind of like a Sophoclean Ajax where the entire play is about all the wrongs that people did to Ajax, all of which were legitimate criticism. Everything he says has legitimate grounds, but it doesn't matter now. The matter is the future of the United States and the world. Yeah. And so... It really is yes. that
1: big, isn't it? Yes.
0: Victoria? The problem is, the he's put himself into a paradox where mm. the effort to get justice, even if he were to achieve it, would be such a distraction and such controversy that his agenda would be overshadowed. And there's people all over the United States that need that agenda. And uh, it, it would be fascinating to see that agenda... Uh, voiced by a lot of legitimate candidates that he would run against and debate against, because it would put, the, say for example, the left and the never Trumpers in a very strange position, because they wouldn't fixate on Donald Trump alone. Yeah. And what would the never Trumpers say? They'd say, we've been conservatives all our life, but the fingerprints of Donald Trump on the agenda made it unpalatable. But now he's not there. This candidate has these positions that we've sort of supported all our life, and I would like to see what they're saying. I, my suspicion is they've gone left And that would put them in a dilemma because they wouldn't want to say, Tom Cotton, Ron DeSantis, Mike Pompeo, pre tump these are the people that I would want. I don't think they would want them now. So there's all these questions that we want answered. And I think the left is, there are people on the left that are are warning the left now and they're saying, in these quasi-illegal things and blatantly illegal, and you saw Sam Harris, the left-wing intellectual said, you know what? It was, the laptop was all fake. Uh, we, we knew that the, the objections that it was Russian di- disinformation were fake. It was an authentic laptop, but it didn't matter that the FBI and the DNC and the left colluded with social media because their ends of getting rid of Donald Trump were morally justifiable, these means. And so they are fixated on Donald Trump, and yet there are people on the left and the Democratic party will say, be careful. Because in your pursuit of destroying Donald Trump's viability, you're you're going to empower other people that might be more effective emissaries of this agenda.
1: See, um, let me test a theory. As I see it, we're at a great moment of sort of a a civilizational moment, nothing less, frankly, in the West. Uh, You've got a situation where we're either going to renew ourselves. Or we're going to have to find a very different way of running ourselves. Uh, And to me, I'd have to say if it's a sort of cross between cultural Marxism and postmodernism that seems to be on offer, I'm not sure how that's going to go. Or frankly, we're going to go into decline. Now in those circumstances, I think what all those good people in, I think this is true in Australia anyway, I think it probably is in America, who have disengaged from politics because they're so disillusioned with it all. Uh, They're looking for someone to lead the old line, you know, where's the Churchill? So leadership becomes incredibly important in this context. Mm -hmm. And I think, A, I'm asking, do you see it as seriously as I do or am I overplaying it? And B, I think I'm saying, it looks to me as an outsider, as though the current president couldn't run again, if you look beyond the midterms, and the people behind him, are not really very appealing to the American people. Whereas the Republicans, you've hinted at it, have actually got some fairly yeah. impressive people. Uh, yeah. They could be yeah. a Churchillian I figure amongst them. I think there's two points,
0: and the easier one very quickly is, I think a lot of people would translate your worries into the nuts and bolts of, where the details would be that Donald Trump has a unique ability to incite the left, and therefore there will be billions of dollars and psychodramas and melodramas that otherwise wouldn't exist with a republican candidate that would be more uh easy to focus on the issues the second when you use the word civilizational i take that as transnational that meaning yes western civilization in general but the english speaking peoples yeah. maybe in particular yes you've and what got we're the saying there and yeah. what you're saying is that we're at a divide and there's half of the western world is saying we believe in consensual government, small government, national defense, self-sufficiency and energy and production, traditional values that have worked, and we're not—we don't have to be perfect to be good. And we have mechanisms within our constitutional systems that will adopt for changes that are necessary. We're not fixated on race. We're ecumenical. We want people—not by—we don't care about the color of their skin. Whether we don't care, we just want them to be on the same page as far as our values go. And we welcome legal measured meritocratic immigration. That group of people is about half now. And there's another, an- the other half is saying, the United States in particular, but the West in general is flawed at its birth. It's got these elemental sins, it'll never recover. And borders are artifact of the past. It's a racist, sexist, Uh, xenophobic culture inherently. We've got to destroy it. There's other paradigms we see around the world of socialism or whatever. And we're at a point now where the latter latter group, the critical group, the anti-Western group, controls the corporate boardroom. They control, I think, a lot of big tech, Silicon Valley. The traditional media, social media, professional sports, Hollywood, entertainment, all of the foundations that fund all of these various Soros projects, uh, DAs that don't believe in traditional crime and punishment and deterrence and incarceration indictment. And so the odds uh, are with the left. They have the money in this new globalized economy, they have the connections, they have the influence, they have the reach, so to speak. All we have is the people, the middle class. Yeah. And so if you put it that way, then personalities are not so important. The traditionalists are saying, we appreciate what Donald Trump did. He was he was a general in, in the army, but we, we're not about a general. We want gen- all generals to appear, and the person who's going to be the most effective is going to get our allegiance. And, being, and how do we define effective? It means do not give the left an inroad because you have no margin of error. So every time you talk about something that they want you to talk about, or every time you tweet something that they can pass off as being crude, they win. We, we At this late date, given the resources of the opposition, we have, no, we have no margin, no laxity. We have to be serious 24-7. And I think that's what the issue is, it's, a little, it's getting each four-year cycle in the country it's getting harder and harder for traditionalists and conservatives to maintain the civilization and uh, i think that's where we are now and it's up to donald trump to decide whether he wants to again to lead the party but if he were to lead the party there can't be any uh, you know you can't say anthony fauci throws a ball like a girl that's one day out of the news cycle you lose you can't say that Liz Cheney is an idiot and a corrupt, and all of that's one day, half a day out of the. You can't do it. You're not talking about closing Anwar down, or you're not talking about uh, canceling the Keystone pipeline. These are existent, or telling the our closest allies in the Mediterranean, the Israelis, the Cypriots, the Greeks, were against East Med pipeline as Biden did. So there's really issues that are important, and you can't you can't waste one second. It's it's. Five minutes to midnight in Western civilization.
1: I I think my point, and and I I take all of that on, and and what you tell us is grave, and I think needs to be, that's why I wanted to come and hear you say it in that way, or anticipated you probably would. I think it's incredibly important that we be utterly realistic about what we're facing. But can I just tease out for a moment, you say it's in the balance, pretty much evenly divided. Isn't that the case then that that makes it more important than ever that that the traditionalists, if I can put it that way, are led by somebody who's not wildly offensive to the other side, that, that won't flush out quite as much anger, yes. quite as much division, and that at the same time will re-engage mm. a lot of the good people who are just so despair. Well, you,
0: you've outlined the dichotomy that is now the subtext of all the Republican discussions about yeah. 2024. Yeah. And one question has been resolved. We're not going to go back to. We're going to slice Social security and right mm. off the the industrial heartland. They should have coded that yeah. they're losers, uh, laissez faire, creative destruction, all that stuff. I don't think is a viable, mm. and we're you know that we're going to have an open border because we need cheap labor for corporate America. That's so the Trump agenda within reason is sort of the orthodoxy now. And then the question is, well. Can you have Trumpism without Trump? I guess he would say, well, can you have sunlight without the sun? But the point is, uh, if you, can you have, what Republicans are saying under their breath, I'll be candid with you is, we want somebody that has the Trump fire in the belly, that will not be a Marcus of Quinsbury gentleman like John McCain or Mitt Romney and be walked over But, and hands it back in kind to the left, but does so wisely rather than emotionally. And Donald Trump at times was too emotional, and he gave his enemies advantages that he didn't intend to, but they turned out to be fatal almost to our cause, not just his. So what they're looking now is they're saying, here's Ron DeSantis, Harvard graduate. He can't be, he's got what the left considers a, a serious education. He's been in iraq under wartime conditions he's running a state here's tom cotton same thing basically and here is mike pompeo same thing they have these sterling credentials they understand the left very seriously they seem to have the fire in the belly and we're going to see and if they can emerge and avoid and show the same passion how would that be defined i suppose it would be Nobody's asking them to get 50,000 people to rally, but could they get 10 or 20 or have that match-up appeal? If they can do that, then they're going to win. And I I think, but if they don't do that, then people are going to say, I'll be candid again with you. And I'm talking about midstream Republicans. They're saying, well, Trump's an SOB, but he's our SOB, and it's all we got. But if, if he's not all we got, and somebody has the same passion and charm and charisma and Combativeness, and yet it uses it much more wisely and adroitly for purposes other than themselves. I think they're going to resonate, and I think that's what the left is terrified. If you notice, they're going after Ron DeSantis almost as if he's Donald Trump. Yeah. They're trying to destroy him. Yeah. And there's and, no mercy.
1: There's yeah. no common decency. There's no let's have a debate. No. It's, we want to cancel you, we, we're, we're going to march. you There's no debate
0: because the, we, the left has conceded that the agenda that they embrace is ideological and there's no compromise and they don't care whether people, Pete Buttigieg said that. He said, these prices are hard and they're difficult for you, but they're valuable because they're going to make fossil fuels unaffordable and therefore we will be forced to go to, to, and we'll see, and we know where that ends up if you look at Germany. That's where they want us to go. They don't care about the misery that will entail thousands, millions of American families if you have $10 a gallon gas. That's what they want. How
1: has this happened? How have the Democrats, the party of the left, come to the point where the little people and the vulnerable don't matter? Two things happen. In
0: the globalized world... We woke up in t- the 21st century and those markets that had been 330 million were eight billion, seven yep. eight billion. Yep. There were per- particular people on the coast, one looking at the EU, one looking yep. at Asia, who had skills that were transferable yep. in a global sense. Yep. Insurance, yep. capital, investment, law, yep. academia, media, yep. And they had these huge markets, and the level of money was staggering. And it was all within an intellectual and culturally left veneer. This is where Stanford is. This is where Caltech, USC, Harvard, Yale, they're on the coast. And we created this elite left-wing culture, and they turned on their own base. They said, you know what? The deplorables, the clingers, the irredeemables, the chumps, I'm just using their language, they didn't code they missed out on it and we don't need these people anymore. And then the second attitude, they substituted race for class. So they said to themselves, if you are not white, and this was Barack Obama's contribution, it's no longer a 90-10, 88-12 dichotomy, black-white, the historical problem of slavery and the discrimination, the racism, and now it's everybody who's not white. It's 30 percent it's the wealthy Punjabi immigrant that just arrived. Mm-hmm. It's a multi-millionaire um, person from Hong Kong who came. It is the Spanish aristocrat who's a professor of literature. They all have grievances. And we're going to say that no matter how wealthy they are, no matter how accomplished, they're victims. And that's the new dichotomy. It's not poor, rich. And we're going to project uh, a racism onto yeah. the the middle white classes that are failing. And it was really a contempt for them. They almost said they lack our culture and values, and uh, they lack the romance of the, of, the, of the poor. But they're basically now, the left is the party of the very wealthy, the bicoastal elite, and the very poor that are subsidized. If you actually look at subsidies, what the, bro- the left has brought in, if you're a middle class person, Your income has been stagnant for 12 or 14 years Why entitlements have have grown. So the the actual income of a family working with two or three children is not Mm. much different than somebody who's subsidized Mm. among the poor. And that's what the Democrats accomplished. They have an instinctual dislike, the new Democrats, dislike, I would even say, a venom toward the middle class. Yeah. The white working class. They cannot stand it. And they will turn on the Hispanic white uh, working class if they feel they're no longer, they don't have fealty to them at 30, 70% to 30 if it should be. I don't think it will happen, but people are saying it could be 50-50 in the next election in terms of the Latino mm-hmm. vote. I think you'll see the borders close very quickly. Can
1: I put a proposition to, yeah. one way of looking at this is uh, a lot of these new elites uh, uh, despise traditional Christian faith, but in a way, it's strangely religious. You could look at the transition. There was a time when there was a sort of a a Christian sort of predominance that said, you know, um, human beings are a high point in the creation and they matter and they ought to go forth and make the world work for them. Perhaps sometimes they abused it, other times they stewarded it well. Then there was pantheism. We're just part of nature now. Man is the problem. Man is the bad guy, the evil that's destroying Gaia, the goddess Earth. Um, And people are the problem. So you've almost got this view emerging in the elites that it's sort of the old lifeboat ethics thing. There's too many of us, we're destroying the planet. Um, And the real prospect that we'll decide that a whole lot of people don't matter. I mean, this is pretty ugly stuff.
0: Well, it's a result, again, I don't want to stress it too much, but it's partly a result that if you turn, for all the problems the world is having, the Western world, if you look at the appurtenances the Western citizen has, if we define it by access to cars, cell phones, instant communications worldwide, video games, square feet that they have for their house, air conditioning, they're wealthier than an aristocrat 70 years ago that yeah. wealth we've never seen this uh level of affluence and leisure and that allows people to think of things who are very very wealthy they have no problem satisfying their appetites they can go across the world in their gulf stream and that but then they take on these boutique issues well what would happen if and this and that and they lose contact with reality where the middle class are worried Am I gonna be able to drive my truck to work? Yeah. Do I have enough food for the week? Can I keep the house warm? But our elite have come they detached, post material. and so they have these theoretical ideological mm-hmm. agendas. And it's also predicated on sort of a Soviet idea that for us to be true revolutionaries, we have to be exempt from the consequences of our ideology. So if I'm a celebrity, I I need to, if I'm John Kerry, I need a private jet. That's the only way I can stop global warming. If I want to have teachers unions and every, I have to have my kid in a private school. If I wanna have 30 cents a kilowatt hour power, I've gotta live on Montecito where it's 70 degrees year round. If I have to say to people, we're gonna be inundated pretty soon because of global warming and our coastal properties will be underwater, if I'm Barack Obama, I still get to have Martha's Vineyard Estate and a new place in Hawaii. So this is kind of a Versailles wealthy left group that play act like Marie Antoinette, they dress up in peasant garb because they can and they're wealthy and they're privileged. And so that, that explains a lot of what's happened. And the, the, other, the other idea is that, I don't want to be too, but we're creating... The the class, the Davos class, the Great Reset group—they're basically agnostics and atheists, and they have lost any idea that the degree to which you act as a human in this lifetime affects your soul. And it's what Socrates said that songs are everywhere, but they come into reality when you have an instrument to play them. But if you if you break your lyre, lyre, or you break your your horn, it doesn't mean the song disappears. We have a soul. It's manifest only because we have a body for a short time. But if you don't believe that, and they don't, they're secular humanists, then every single issue right now is all that matters. It's not whether you lie. It's not whether you're a good person in terms of traditional, say, just take one example, Christian morality. It's whether you were right on the issue of global warming. You were right on the issue of critical race theory. You were right on this radical, and what is the agenda? It's a radical equality of a result. If you sum up the woke movement today, in every aspect, environmental, social, cultural, economic, it is that any inequality anywhere in the Western world can be attributed to some sort of exploitation doesn't matter about a person's individual circumstances, whether they are aggressively a workaholic or inert or lazy, or whether they have good genes or bad genes, or whether they have a big inheritance or whether they have a bad back, all the millions of things that we can't, we can't control in the tragic view. So we say to ourselves, we want a quality of opportunity. Everybody gets a, a, an equal shot and we'll try to help people that have uh, disadvantages, but no. It's that person is not like that person. I'm anointed to adjudicate on the back end. I'm going to have an equality of result. And I need power to do a lot of tough stuff. Mm -hmm. This is the motto of everybody from, you know, from Pol Pot to Stalin to Mao. It's about power. And that's what they want to do. They want Mm -hmm. the power so they can determine everybody's life. You are using too much You've got your air conditioner on too much. A poor person in Fresno doesn't have that. He doesn't have that. So I'm going to take that away from you.
1: But I'll keep mine going. Yes. And and I'll go out and buy some carbon
0: credits somewhere
1: with some shonky scheme.
0: They always think of that, don't they? Yeah. I can have a. Nobody should live in America more than 1,500 square feet, but I have five, 20,000 square foot homes. But I have had the carbon offsets. That's what they do. They dream up these things. So that I, I feel like they're, they're creatures at Versailles and they're very dangerous. And uh, it's very hard for us to criticize them because they're so moralistic and they're always, the right is always, I'm for the individual. Mm-hmm. And when the individual makes more than another individual, my duty as a Western citizen is to appeal to the better angels of their nature or their religion and or their shame or their culture, their family and say, share it with your, your poor brother or your cousin doesn't have enough, or help your child, or if go beyond that with a community, or help. But they don't trust the individual. They say, no, no, we are the state, and we're going to tell that person, we're going to take him away. He got that only because he exploited somebody. And he didn't have it, not because he used drugs, not because he committed a crime, not because he, it was only because the system was unfair to him. There's some truth in both sides, but that's not, not the truth.
1: Let me test two theories with, theories with you, then. Yeah. Yeah. The first is that you've mentioned Versailles. They're playing with fire. The social disharmony that will result if we continue, because I've been in government long enough to see the pattern since the great financial crisis through COVID and now in the name of arresting climate change, we're pursuing policies that are indeed continuing to make these squillionaires wealthier than ever Whilst everybody else's living standards are being pushed down, yeah. the Marie Antoinette moment, let them eat cake, yes. said in contempt, resulted in her losing her head. Yeah. So well, we've never... these are intelligent. I don't suppose I know history because I don't think yes. history matters. You but could... history would tell them they're playing with fire in they, the end.
0: They are. And so in the United States, we had 120 days of rioting in May to November of 2020. Continuous. Yeah. 35 to 50 people were killed, $2 billion of property damage, uh, 14,000 people arrested and let go, uh, 1,500 police officers. And that was that was exempt from criticism. Kamala Harris, who was going to shortly be the vice president candidate said, the rioting should, the, the protests should, and she knew they were violent, they tried to storm the White House ground. Uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones, the architect the 1619 said, ah, Theft is not a crime. Property is not a crime if you take somebody's property. So the left said that's okay. We had one day of a bunch of buffoonish people who rioted over the election. And so they went. And that's a threat to democracy. Yeah, yeah, it was a threat to democracy. What they don't understand is, though. Not not
1: that I want to. Not that I want to downplay the stupidity. No, I think
0: it was a terrible thing that happened. I want anybody who committed a felony to be properly punished. But my point is, if you tell middle-class people, you're not going to be able to afford to fill up your truck at $7 for diesel fuel, or you're not going to turn on your air conditioning because it's a sin, and we're going to make it 30 kilowatt, And you're going to be on that forklift at 18, and you're going to pay taxes for this guy with a gender studies major at Stanford on his loan forgiveness. Uh, you're playing with fire, With of going after them, and then you keep calling them semi-fascist. So if you stop and think a minute, the President of the United States, between 2009 and 16, Barack Obama said these people clung to their guns. He just ridiculed them. Joe Biden has called them chumps and dregs. Hillary Clinton said they were irredeemables and deplorables. And she made fun of them in West Virginia. You know, coal's going to be, we're going to wipe out your your livelihood. And when you call them fascist and uh, you have this, the FBI, members of the FBI say, how do we t- stop this president? Or, or Peter Strzok says, I went into Walmart and it smelled like Trump people. Or a CNN reporter says, I went to a rally and I had more teeth than everybody in this rally. And you combine that public... Or Kevin Kleinsmith, an FBI lawyer who forged a document and he writes in a tweet, viva la la resistance. If you you marry that with an agenda that makes it impossible for people to have upward mobility and you, you Mm -hmm. you articulate your hatred toward them and you call them, if you're the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and you say that you're exploring their white rage, or you're the Secretary of Defense, and you say that you're gonna go in the ranks and you're gonna find out who are all these races, but you bring no data. The only data that I know that's race specific is the military always tells us who dies by race. And when you look at the statistics in Afghanistan, Iraq, white males die at double their numbers of the general population. And so when you go after them, you said, "Well, how long will will they take it? They're playing with fire." Well, they already have the the recruitments in the U.S. Army are down forty five percent. Yes, this year. And the Reagan Library just did a poll, and they asked people, "Do you have confidence in the U.S. military?" It used to be eighty five percent. It was less than fifty percent. And the U.S. Air Force Academy is not getting that. It, it has a uh, recruitment crisis about applicants. The applications have gone down, but especially the applications that qualify of of kind of people they want. So we're starting to see people say, no, we have a kind of a rejectionist half the country. It wasn't just that they're not going to Disneyland or they're not watching the Super Bowl or NBA. They're not joining the military and they're not, they don't want their children to Or the police automatically. Yeah, they're, they're saying no. And that's that's half the country, and that was, the left always operated on the premise that they were the critical intellectual elite, and they would look at the system, and they would poke holes in it. But was always the assumption that the system was there, that there was always some guy yeah. fracking oil, there was always some guy perched up on the hundred and fiftieth floor, uh, washing windows. There was always a guy to fix their car, put in their granite counter, bring in their,
1: always someone to generate. The yeah. money so the yes. socialists could. there was always somebody was, when you
0: wanted a yeah. nation build in iraq there was always a guy in rural pennsylvania that's family had been four generations from world war ii to korea to vietnam and he was going to go over there and god knows where mm-hmm. and die for this agenda and that's how they existed but when they take power and they destroy the energy in industry and when they uh, destroy the military. And when they destroy the reputation of the FBI, there's no there there anymore. And so the people who kept the country running and allowed these people to be professors and lawyers and media critics, they're the, the frill, they're the, the hair and the nails, they're not the muscles and the organs of the, of the organism. And when you start attacking those people that make the country run, and it's not just white. I'm not saying white. It's everybody of the middle and working muscular classes. They warred on them. And uh, and when they, you don't want them in rebellion because yeah. they'll shut... We yeah. saw that during the COVID shutdown. When they stopped working or when they... Uh, you know, half of them stopped working. They couldn't work. Their businesses were destroyed. And then the other half were the only people that kept the country... Winning. The Amazon del- delivery... The guy who kept, uh, you know, he was still irrigating the uh, the grape vineyard. The guy who was still out there welding. So that's who kept the country going. And uh, you, we all can't sit in our, our, our house, uh, terrified of COVID, live by Zoom and have somebody knock on the door with our dinner and our Amazon mm-hmm. delivery. That t- takes real people. And if you offend those people, as we're doing, and uh, what's the real revolutionary thing in the United States... Now, is the left was so obsessed with race, it's almost that their u- u- hubris brought on nemesis because now what's happening, you're starting to see a subtle but definite trend that people who the left calls non-white feel there's a war against them. If you're a Mexican-American painter or you have 10 people working in your electrician business, you don't want people going into your diet diocese and disrupting it over transgendered issues. You don't want partial birth abortion. You don't want critical race theory. You don't want somebody playing the knock-up game where they walk up to somebody and hit them in the head on a street in New York and they're out the mm-hmm. same day. So they're offending those classes and they're creating a new, a new political reality of class, I think, is starting to slowly reassert itself. And that if Republicans are wise, they'll be able to take advantage of that
1: now the other great danger that i just wanted to run by you it seems to me that these uh, highly educated uh, certainly by their own beliefs very clever people i can't believe they're playing so lightly really with the liberal global rules-based order that has served the world so well since the second world war because america's essentially policed it Yes. Uh, The progress around the world and lifting people out of poverty, creating opportunity, spreading democracy until recently has been quite remarkable, but it's dependent upon a strong and cohesive, even a coherent American society to do it. And if you're worried about climate change, for example, if you really think we're destroying the planet, surely the worst thing you could do is to put at risk. And, uh, you know, it really is at risk the liberal, global, rules-based order. The arc of autocracy, as some people in my country call it, you know, who hate Western democracy, China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, they don't care about climate change. They don't care about woke either. They don't care
0: about climate change. They don't care about any of this stuff.
1: Isn't that the second danger that these purportedly
0: highly intelligent people are missing? It's very ironic because these, remember, these people are not empirical. They're ideologues so once they get i think everybody knew that st- stalinism had failed by 1935 or 36 earlier during the great fam it didn't matter he didn't change national socialism it, Mao failed but the ideologue does not care we saw that with the virginia pushback against the left they didn't care they doubled down on critical race theory so In Germany, as we're talking right now, they're going to be burning wood, which is the most polluting of all fuels this winter to survive. We in California have no forest management because we felt that it was uh, empowering timber companies, you know, very careful, conservative uh, trimming of dead trees and, and logging. So what do we do? We have these huge fires, these biblical fires, and they put more... Uh, fossil fuel emissions into the air than cars do. But they don't care because it's ideologically correct to have a particular forest management problem. And so that's where we are. We've created a very wealthy, elite, protected class and they have controls of the influence in the Western world. And by that I mean the books that are published, the podcast, not this one, but there's very few of us. The media, social media, network news, PBS, NPR, Founday, all of it, and they have a, a huge megaphone, and they have the money, the wealth. If you look at the Fortune 400, these are not ancient fortunes based on manufacturing or assembly or oil or mining or gas or transportation. They're finance, investment, insurance, high tech, bio media and they're very left-wing people they have a global market they're very wealthy they're ideological and they have an agenda that they feel is good for us this is their religion as atheists and agnostics they feel we're going to convert these people we don't want to do it by the sword if we have if we can avoid it but they're going to do what's good for them and we know what it is we've seen their visions it's all of us are going to live in high rises and we're going to go to a belt around a city on mass transit we're going to give up our individual cars and we're going to use a particular type of fuel we're going to think a particular way we're going to have a particular k-12 through education and we're going to be the perfect citizen according to them and they don't believe in liberty they don't believe in individual choice they don't believe that individuals can make better decisions than they can as government so they're very scary people and they—they're not new in history. Every generation or two, they have a new face. If this was 1793, we'd be calling them Jacobins. If it was 19, you know, 63 or 68, maybe in China, we would call them Maoists. And uh, if we called in, and uh, after 1940s, five to fifty in the United States, we'd call them sympathizers with socialism or communism. So I don't know how we defeat them other than the way we've always defeated them. And that is we, a few people call them out and say it doesn't work and we're gonna oppose you. We're not gonna put you in camps. We're not going to uh, violate the constitution, but we're gonna speak out against you. And that's how we've always, we have a better system. We have better values. And uh, we care about people and we're humanist. Mm I don't think that they're anti-human, as you said. When AOC said that she didn't want children because uh, because of climate change, and when you t- tell the left that you can't have a society with a 1.3 fertility rate because you'll have a bunch of old people dependent on very few young people whose whole, whole lives will be spent taking care of them, they, they don't care. That that They like that. The fewer people, the less carbon imprint on the environment. So... It's very sad because it's insidious. People with PhDs and JDs and MDs and MAs and B.A.s, who are very glib can do a lot of damage. And as we get older, I'm not trying to be romantic or naive, but something about a person who works with their hands and they combine the mind with the body and they build or they mine or they harvest, they're, they're grounded in reality and they know human human. They know human limitations, and they believe that the world is tragic, and you try to do your best, and if you're not perfect, it doesn't mean you're not good.
1: Well, you see that as a farmer. You stay in touch that way, and so do I. Yeah. So on that note, once again, thanks so much for your insights. Well, thank you.